be with God's people and appreciate everyone who thought enough of our Lord Jesus Christ to be here this morning. I want you to look with me, if you don't mind, at Matthew chapter 19. I appreciate uh, the reading that we just had from verse number 9. Of course, that is uh, a verse that we will emphasize, but I want us to look beginning at verse number 1 here in Matthew chapter 19. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from verse number 1 through verse number 12 so that we can have the text before us. And then I want to go back and begin again at verse number 1 and see if we can understand what is taking place here. In Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the borders of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, <clears throat> and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. And there came unto him Pharisees trying him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why then did Moses command to give a bill of divorcement and to put her away? He said unto them, Moses, for your hardness of heart suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it has not been so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife except for fornication, and shall marry another commits adultery. And he that marries her when she is put away commits adultery. The disciples say unto him, if the case of the man is so with his wife, it is not expedient to marry. But he said unto them, Not all men can receive this saying, but they to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs that were so born from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs that were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs that, were made, that made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. As Matthew gives us the account of Jesus' ministry, this is a pivotal place in the book. If you'll remember in Matthew chapter 1 through Matthew chapter 4, some way into chapter 4, he talks about the Lord's birth and his preparation for his work. And beginning in chapter 4, all the way up until this point, that is through the conclusion of chapter 18, we see that Jesus is ministering in Galilee. Some parts of his ministry are public and some parts of it are private. You'll see the repeated cycles that we have of Jesus teaching the gospel in Galilee and, and Jesus healing people. And so back and forth, Matthew goes between these teaching sections and these, these healing sections. Of course, during these times, you will see that uh, sects of the Jews, that is the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and, and they have certain things to say about his ministry. They set themselves up to be his opponents. Uh, didn't have to be that way, but that's the way they proceeded. 
And so from time to time, they would send emissaries. They would send their representatives to question Jesus about different things that he was doing. And from time to time, they would see Jesus healing people and so forth. And when he would cast out demons on more than one occasion, they would say he cast out demons by the prince of demons. They made themselves his adversaries. Well, Jesus is in Galilee, and of course there are scribes and there are Pharisees all throughout Israel, all throughout Judea. But, but as he's making his way toward Judea, he's walking sort of into the lion's den. He's, he's encroaching upon the, the belly of the beast, if you will. Matthew 19 and verse 1, Matthew announces this transition for us. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these words. That's one of the, the key signals in the book when a, when a teaching section ends. He has finished all these words. The Bible says he departed from Galilee now and came into the borders of Judea beyond the Jordan. You know that Jesus is going to Judea. You know that he is making his way to Jerusalem to die. And so this public ministry that he's had in Galilee, he's completed that. He's making his way to Jerusalem now, and Judea, of course, is the region where Jerusalem is situated. The Bible tells us about the great following that he had. Jesus had tremendous momentum in his ministry. The Bible says in verse 2 that great multitudes followed him and listened to it. He healed them there. That's one of the teaching sections. Jesus would heal everyone that came to him for the healing. And that sort of puts us, uh, puts us in the right place. We're sort of right here at Judea. We see what is taking place. Jesus has the multitudes thronging him, and he's been teaching, and he's been healing. But, but as he comes now, here come his uh, familiar foes again, the Pharisees. In verse number three, the Bible says they came to him, these Pharisees, and they were trying him. And they said to him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, on the surface, this could be a very legitimate question. Perhaps you remember in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 and 2, the Bible does say that Moses had told the Jews that, that if their wives, that they found some uncleanness in them, if there was something unseemly in the wife, the husband could put the wife away. But to protect these ladies, the Bible says the husband was to was to put this in writing. He was to he was to memorialize his displeasure. He was to give her a writing of divorcement and then send her out of her out of his house. You know, times were a little different then. Uh, the lady was not going to be able to simply go out and uh, get a college degree and find a job to support herself. It wasn't going to work that way. In that society, a woman was really vulnerable. She was particularly at risk if she didn't have the protection of her, of her father or her husband. And so in verse number two there in Deuteronomy 24, the, the reason is given for the writing. Now, you give her the writing and then she can leave your house and, and go. And if another man will receive her into his house, she could become his wife. And so the Old Testament law said that you could divorce your wife and send her away and she could marry again. And so now they ask the question, is it lawful to Put away your wife for every cause, for every cause. I mean, I think that's interesting because 
in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 10, the Bible says that, that if a woman committed adultery and the man who she committed adultery with and the woman who was guilty of adultery, what was to happen to them? Well, they were to both be stoned to death. And so I'm under the impression that when they ask this question and they use that language for every cause, the one cause they're not worried about is adultery because we've already made provision for that one. Is it lawful to put away your wife for every cause. I like the way they asked the question. They didn't say, do people put away their wives for every cause? They didn't say, when you look at the Roman society all around us, do they allow men to divorce their wives for just any old reason in the world? Do they allow that in the world? That's not the way they asked the question. The question was, is it lawful? They're concerned about whether or not God would, whether or not God would accept that kind of behavior and procedure. Now, the question on his face would be a legitimate one if it were being asked with a sincere heart and so forth. But we have this insight from the Holy Spirit. We know that these, that these men were trying Jesus. That is, they were tempting him. Perhaps they were trying to embarrass him. Perhaps they were trying to slow down the momentum that he enjoyed. Because, listen, Jesus had all these people following him and, and thronging to him. And this was a controversial issue in their day. They all had the same words written by Moses, but, but some had interpreted this language somewhat differently. There were some who said, listen, when Moses said uncleanness, the one thing that he meant was fornication or adultery. That was the one thing he had in his mind. That was one school of thought. Another school of thought was, well, if the man finds some fault in his wife, whatever the fault may be, and you can see this in the rabbinical writings, whatever the fault may be, if she burns his meal, he can put her away. That was another school of thought. There was still at least one more. There was this third. That is, she didn't have to do anything wrong. He just didn't care for her anymore. He, he found a younger and a, a newer model, and so he wanted to trade her in. So she was uh, unclean or unseemly in his sight. That was another school of thought. And so they're inviting Jesus to enter into a, an area where there has been some controversy. And perhaps because their hearts were not pure in the asking, listen, there are lots of questions that we can ask. If you have a Bible question, the Bible has an answer, but it does matter where you are when you ask the question. Jesus uh, answers their question, but he doesn't give them a yes or no answer right away. And perhaps that's because of the condition of their heart. Let's look at the way Jesus responds. Beginning in verse number four, uh, what we see here is uh, Jesus reiterating certain marriage principles. Now they've asked the question, is it lawful to put away your wife for every cause? And look at how Jesus begins to respond in verse number four. He answers and says, have you not read? I've always thought it was interesting when Jesus responds to people and asks them the question, haven't you opened your own Bible and read for yourself what it says? Have you not read, he says, that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female. Now that's a reference to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 27. 
And then the Bible says in verse number five and said, now listen, this is the one who made them. He says in verse number five, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now that's a reference to Genesis chapter two and verse number 24. Jesus reminds them that uh, if you have a question about divorce, you need to first begin by making sure you understand marriage. The Pharisees were interested in what circumstances would allow a person to get out of a marriage. Jesus wanted to remind them of what it meant to get into a marriage in the first instance. He reminds them of the commitment that is involved. The one who made them, male and female, in the beginning, listen, He's the one who said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother. And here's your commitment. Cleave to his wife. God is the one who puts men and women together. He is the one who makes the two one flesh. There is a commitment involved in marriage. And the commitment that is involved in marriage began with the very first marriage by God's design. As Jesus goes on in verse number six, look at this. So that they are no more two, but one flesh. Listen to the language. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. God is the one who joins males and females in marriage. When they come together and they agree in a covenant that he will accept and allow, he is the one who makes the two one. He is the one who joins them in a covenant. In Malachi chapter two and verse number 14. God rebukes the Jews because they had been, he says, treacherous with the wives of their youth. But then he says to them, listen, this is still the wife of your youth. This is still your companion. And the Bible says God is the one who sees them. She is the wife of your covenant. There is a commitment involved in marriage. When God put Adam and Eve together, listen. Those two were going to live and die as husband and wife. That was their only option. By God's design, they didn't have another one. All those years later in the close of the Old Testament in Malachi 2, that was still God's design. They asked Jesus about divorce. They asked Jesus about a subsequent marriage. Ultimately, that's what they're talking about when you look at Deuteronomy 24. And God says, before Jesus, before we can talk about divorce, let's talk about marriage and make sure we got a good understanding on that. There's a lifetime commitment in marriage. There is a covenant before God in marriage, and that always has to be respected, the marriage principle. Now, they understand Jesus' answer. I know for us, he didn't say yes, he didn't say no, but he said very clearly no, and they understood it that way. Look at, why they, look at the next question they ask, and this is a confirmation. In verse 7, they say unto him, why then does Moses command to give a bill of divorcement and put her away? Now, Jesus, you have just said that, that a man cannot put away his wife for every cause, but if that's the case, then you're in conflict with Moses, are you not? Why did Moses say then we could give a writing of divorcement and we could put the wife away? Uh, this is sometimes referred to as the Mosaic Permission. And as I said, we find this in Deuteronomy 24, 1 and 2. Now, they asked Jesus the first question. 
Can a man put away his wife for every reason? Jesus answers the question, no ma'am and no sir. That is contrary to God's design for marriage. They asked Jesus a second question, a follow-on to the first. Well, why did Moses say that we could? And Jesus answers that question as well. In verse 8, he says unto them, Moses, for your hardness of heart suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it has not been so. Listen to this. In Israel, apparently, men were abusing their wives. In Israel, apparently, men were not... Uh, respecting the covenant that they had entered into with their wives. Jesus refers to this as their hardness of heart. And so to protect those women, Jesus says, Moses suffered you. Now, when you suffer something, that means it's problematic. When you suffer something, that means it's not what it should be. But because of the hardness of heart of those Jews in Moses' day, he suffered this. Now, the permission that he gives, it comes from the Lord. And so God is the one who is suffering all of this. God is the one who is dealing with something that he knows is not quite right. Something that is offensive to him. Something that is bothersome. There was a time when God, the Bible says, winked at certain things. Perhaps you'll recall in 1 Samuel 8, the Bible says that the Jews that asked for a king, they wanted to be like all the nations around them. And God warned them, listen, the last thing you want is an earthly king because he's going to mistreat you and he's going to exploit you. You don't really want an earthly king. These are all the reasons why you don't want one. And the Jews said, we will have a king. And the Bible says, God speaking to Samuel. They've not rejected you, but they've rejected me, that I should not be king over them. And he suffered that. He suffered that for a time. The Bible couldn't be more clear. He warned the kings in Israel that they ought not to multiply wives. And guess what? They, they all seemed to do that. He suffered that. Was it right? No, it wasn't right. It was adultery when Abraham did it. It was adultery when David did it, and God suffered it for a time. And so he explains to them, listen, Moses did allow this, but he allowed it because you weren't willing to do what you were supposed to do. And he reminds them again, if you want to know the answer to your question about divorce, then you have to go back to the beginning. And he says, friends, from the beginning, it was not so. That's never the way God intended for this to work. The Mosaic permission uh, is about to be repealed. Now, it was only given to the Jews, by the way. The Mosaic law was only given to the Jews. God did not make a provision for divorce before Deuteronomy 24. And so then anyone outside of the covenant of Israel didn't even have this exception. And now Jesus is about to be very clear that even for those who were under the law, that permission is being repealed. In verse number nine, Jesus says, I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife except for fornication and shall marry another commits adultery. And he that marries her when she is put away commits adultery. This is the master's pronouncement on the question. 
Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Jesus already said no. Then they asked the question, well, wait a minute. Why did Moses give us this permission? Because of the kind of scoundrels that you are, he permitted it. But that was never God's design. And to the extent that God overlooked it in the past, he won't overlook it in the future. Whosoever shall put away his wife, listen to it, except for fornication and marries another, does commit adultery. And whoever marries her that is put away does commit adultery. This is not the first time Jesus said it. He's come into Judea and he's been confronted by the, about, about this by the Pharisees. But if you recall in Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus is giving his discourse, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he says there, whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, he says, makes his wife an adulteress, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries her that is put away does commit adultery. It's not the first time he said it. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 31, Jesus said, anyone who puts his wife away, unless his wife has been sexually unfaithful to him, makes her an adulteress. Go back to Deuteronomy, the context there for a second. The woman was going to have to seek out some man to protect her and provide. And that man would receive her into his house as his wife. Jesus says, if you do that, it's adultery. It's adultery. And the one who breaks his covenant with his wife and sends her out of his home when she has not been sexually unfaithful to him, he is complicit. He has committed a crime himself by breaking the covenant and influences her to sin against God. And whoever comes along and marries this woman. Now think about this for a second. The woman shows up and says, listen, my husband has has put me away. I've not been sexually unfaithful to him, but uh, he didn't like the way I prepared his meals or he found this younger woman and he likes her better. And so he's giving me this writing so that that I could tell people that I'm free to marry again. And so this man receives her into his house. Jesus says that man commits a sin against his God. It's adultery. It was always adultery. In Deuteronomy 24, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, if that man receives the woman and then he dies, the first husband could not go to be with her again. And he says, because she's been unclean, she has been defiled. It was never right. God winked at it for a time. And Jesus makes it clear he's not going to wink at it anymore. You want to talk about marriage and divorce. You want to talk about remarriage. Well, first, let's think about what marriage is. Marriage is a lifelong covenant between a woman and a man that is overseen and administered by God. God is the one who brings men and women together in marriage. He is the one who determines the criteria for when two people can lawfully marry. And he is the one who decides when they can divorce, if they can divorce. By his design, two men, uh, two people, a man and a woman, will marry and they will be with one another and one another only until some. Somebody dies. 
In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 39, Paul speaking on this matter says, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if he be dead, she is free to marry whomsoever she will, but only in the Lord. Once he dies, then she can remarry if she chooses within the construct that God has given. See, marriage is for life, and people seem to forget that in our society today. The Romans didn't have a lot of respect for marriage. And you know what? Americans don't have a lot of respect for marriage either. But Christians are Christians first. It doesn't matter what America allows. It's what God accepts, what he expects, what he permits. And he expects two people who have trouble in their marriage. He expects them to work on their marriage and make the marriage better and stay together. And Jesus says there is this one narrow exception. There is the one narrow exception in which God will recognize a person is having a legitimate, lawful divorce. Divorce for every cause? No, ma'am. Divorce for every cause? No, sir. Jesus says, except it be for fornication, if you go and be with somebody else, you're committing a grievous sin against God. Adulterers will have their place in the lake of, lake of fire. Now, the interesting thing to me about this, and listen, over the years, I've had many occasions to talk with people about this, uh, marriage counseling and so forth, or premarital counseling. Um, you're just preaching every, uh, the whole counsel of God, and eventually you're going to run into stuff like this just in preaching through the Bible, and people have questions about it. Here's the thing. People had questions about it when Jesus said it the first time. His own disciples had questions about it. In Matthew 19, verse number 10, after Jesus made this pronouncement, as clear a pronouncement as can be made. I mean, I sometimes say to people, listen, sometimes there are things in the Bible that we have a hard time uh, obeying, but that doesn't mean it's hard to understand. Believe and be baptized. There's, there's nobody in the world who can't understand what that means. Now, you may not want to accept it. That's a different thing. You get married and you stay married until somebody dies. And unless somebody goes out and commits a sexual crime against their spouse, you stay married. And if for some reason it were necessary for you to separate, you can separate for a time. Paul deals with this also in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. If it were necessary for some reason for, for people to separate for a time, he says you've got two options. One, remain unmarried. You stay by yourself. Or two, be reconciled. It's not complicated. His disciples thought it was a bit hard to swallow, and so they asked him about this in verse number 10. The disciples say unto him, if the case of the man is so with his wife, it is not expedient to marry. Listen to this. His own disciples, I mean James and John and, and Andrew and Peter, these guys come to him and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I'm understanding you right, you mean that a man is stuck with this same wife even if he doesn't like her anymore? You mean to say he's stuck with this same wife if this wife stops being the kind of wife that he thought that she should be? I mean, if a man is going to be stuck with her, it may be better for him not to marry at all. You know, in the book of Proverbs, uh, Solomon knew a little something about women. He said, listen, it's better to dwell on the corner of a rooftop than with a contentious woman. A continual dropping in a rainy day and a, and a contentious woman are alike. 
I mean, it's, a, it's difficult to be in a bad marriage. And his disciples recognized the potential for being in a bad marriage and not being able to get out of it. And they said, well, if this is the way this is going to work, maybe it'd be better for this guy not to marry at all. And Jesus didn't disagree. You know, getting married is a choice. Nobody forces, nobody forces you to marry. If you choose to marry, then you choose to be bound by God's administration of marriage. You can choose to marry or you can choose not to marry. Look at how Jesus addresses their question. But he says to them, not all men can receive this saying, but they to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs that were so born from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs that were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs that made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. A eunuch is someone who is incapable of having sexual relations with someone else. And Jesus says, listen, if you think about this on the, the physical plane for just a moment, there are some people who are born eunuchs. They, they because of some kind of birth defect, they, they simply do not have the ability to have sexual relations with somebody else. Some people are born eunuchs. Then he says, well, there's some uh, who are made eunuchs by men. You know, in these Bible times, it was not uncommon for a person who was a special servant to the king uh, to be castrated. And so he would lose the ability to have sexual relations, particularly those who would have been responsible for the king's harem and so forth. Some people are born incapable of having sexual relations. And, and some people, because of the influence of men, have lost the ability to have sexual relations. But then he says, listen, there are some who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Some people may be born into the world with... Uh, what we sometimes refer to as Paul's gift. Paul was a single man and apparently he didn't have any significant temptation to marry or to, to engage in any kind of romantic relationships with a woman. All of this was a potential distraction to him in his work. And in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, listen, uh, it'd be better if you could remain single and focus on serving the Lord without distraction. Apparently that was a gift that he had. He was born that way. Some people are made eunuchs by the influence of men. I want you to see this parallel for just a moment. In the context that Jesus has just laid out for us, he's hearkening to the circumstance where one person does not desire to be with his or her spouse. Now, the spouse hasn't committed uh, adultery. The spouse hasn't been sexually unfaithful and immoral. If that spouse decided to, to leave for one reason or another, the one who remains has been made a eunuch. That is, they have been rendered incapable of having sexual relationships, at least within God's design, because the one person to whom they are married, the one person with whom they can have that kind of expression, has withdrawn him or herself and refused to do that. So they have been made a eunuch. That's not what they wanted, but it's because of someone else's behavior, someone else's uh, maneuvering in the relationship that they're sort of left in this circumstance. Then he says there's some who make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. There's some people, because they love God enough, there's some people who respect 
the kingdom of God enough, who will restrain themselves from any kind of sexual relations because they cannot engage in sexual relationship in a way that is going to be uh, fitting, acceptable to God. They make themselves eunuchs. This apparently was hard for people to digest 2,000 years ago. And it's hard sometimes for people to digest now. But I want to reiterate something. Here's what it's not. It's not hard to understand. The hardest thing about being a Christian, the hardest thing about being a servant, a slave to Jesus Christ, is not some difficulty in understanding what he requires. It is a submission of one's will to what he requires. And that's what we have here. In my library, I have, uh, I have an assortment of books that have been written on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Uh, some have said there are some eight positions that are taken uh, within churches of Christ. Uh, people take all these various positions on this subject. I only need one book to understand it. There's only one position that actually matters, and that's Jesus' position. Whoever puts away his wife, whoever divorces his spouse, saving for the cause of fornication, unless that spouse has been sexually unfaithful to him or her and marries someone else, commits a grievous sin against the one who made us. And anyone who happens along and marries the one who is put away under that circumstance also commits a grievous sin against our maker. I like to talk about things like this before it becomes an issue. One of the reasons that our society is so messed up and turned around when it comes to this issue is because we do not teach the principles of marriage the way we once did, as a society and as a church. To you young people, to you young people, you need to understand this before you choose to marry. No one is going to make you marry. If you choose to marry, I highly recommend it, by the way, if you choose to marry, by God's design, how many marriages do you get? You get one. So choose wisely. We sometimes enter into marriage and we say for better or for worse, but we don't mean it. We mean for better only. We enter into marriage and we say till death do us part, but we don't mean it. We mean until I can't take you anymore. By God's design, there is commitment and there is covenant. That's what marriage is. You take that seriously. You don't marry someone who will not also have this commitment to you and to God. You don't marry someone who doesn't understand what a covenant is and you'll spare yourself from having to be worried about a divorce. God gives us all the incentive in the world to do everything we can to make a marriage work. 
and anyone who ever steps outside of their marriage, saving for this one exception that God gives, commits a grievous sin that must be repented of if they want to be right. So here's the thing. I don't have a position on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I've heard others espouse different positions. I, I just try to understand Jesus' position, and uh, I think it's pretty easy to understand. The reason we would uh, limit ourselves in this way, the reason that we would limit ourselves uh, more than our society requires or demands is because our, our citizenship, first and foremost, is in heaven and not on earth. Our ruler doesn't live in the White House, but he's standing on the right hand of God in heaven. We'll do what he says regarding marriage and we'll do what he says regarding everything else because we love him and respect him enough that if our will disagrees with his, we will change our will so that it conforms to his. Jesus is not going to change his mind. So if we're going to be on the same page with him, we have to change ours. He's the son of God. He died for your sins and for mine. He's the friend of sinners. He came to us when there was no reason for him to come except his love. He drew near to us so he could show us what is good and right so that we could live in an acceptable way before his father. And in the gospels we see at least the four times Jesus speaking on this issue. Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Matthew 19 and verse number 9. Mark chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. He tells us the same thing in Luke 16 and verse number 18. If you want to become a Christian, you've got to do it the way Jesus says. If you want to have a holy marriage, you've got to do it the way Jesus says. To become a Christian, you hear the gospel, believe the same, repent of your sins, confess with your mouth, and you submit to baptism. To have a faithful marriage, you be a Christian yourself. You marry another Christian, and you hang in there, and you fight tooth and nail to have a godly marriage until somebody lays the body down. I know that these kinds of things sometimes weigh heavy on folks, and there are all kinds of questions that arise from a subject like this. Uh, I could probably spend four weeks speaking on the various tentacles of this subject, but all of that doesn't matter if we don't understand and embrace the bedrock precept. You get one of these. Make it count. If we can help you, please let us know how as we stand and sing the song.